what about like a moist, moist towelette? I've <laughs> never said that either. What? What? You don't use moist towelette? You have towelette? never said moist towelette? No. Have you never eaten ribs before? I you said, hey, pass me one of those moist towelettes. You know, like like one, one of those wipes. You're listening to the John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Cool. Welcome back to the John Chi Show, everybody. We are here and excited to be here because uh, it's interview week. So uh, really, really excited about that. Um, I am one of your hosts, KJ, uh, chilling in a car that is getting hotter <laughs> by the minute. Um, Nathan, Patrick, roll down the window. Doing good. I'm sitting in my AC house. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, I'm sitting in the comfort of my own. <laughs> I have a neutral okay. air right now because mm. it's... Neutral outside. Nice. <laughs> um, well, Patrick, for all of our new listeners, will you briefly explain what the John Chi Show is, why we call ourselves the John Chi Show, and what they can expect this episode? Absolutely. I can tell, tell them all of those things. Um, we are the John Chi Show. What we do here is just, well, we're all three Korean American adoptees, and we talk about those experiences together. Uh, and sometimes we have somebody on, like we do this week. Um, we call ourselves the John Chi Show because John Chi in Korean means to celebrate, to feast, to come together uh, and share in good times and recollections. And that's what we do. We celebrate our <laughs> our uh, shared Korean heritages, our culture, uh, as well as what we do in the adoptee community. My cat is trying to get on my lap right now. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what we do. Part of the Your cat wants the John Chi. That's why. Cat wants the John Chi. Um, yeah, uh, but this week we have a really fantastic interview lined up. We have Chris McLaughlin on the show. Um, we, he's been following us for a while, but we've met him out in LA. Uh, first time I did not realize who it was. And then I realized at the end of the interview who it was (laughs) that's been following me on Instagram for a long time. Um, but Chris gets really vulnerable with us. Uh, he shares about growing up in Arizona and then going to Los Angeles, Um, But we really dive deep into his search for his first family uh, and everything that spins out of that. Um, It's really, really powerful. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear the interview. Um, I know KJ is getting hotter by the second, so I don't know if we're talking about anything else. KJ, is there anything you want to share before we get to the interview? A couple. Well, I guess just really briefly, I listened to um, another podcast, which I know I'm just going to name drop this one. It's called The Stacks Podcast. It's about books. And but uh, Nicole Chung was on it talking about her book, All You Can Ever Know. And then they actually had um, an interview with an adoptive parent or a parent who had adopted uh, talking about the book. So I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I, I haven't read the book, but actually listening to them chat about that and listening to the author talk about that with the host uh, was just I was like, oh, man, I, I should really check this out. So that was really exciting to me. Um, it's funny yeah, that you so say, I that. say that. Um, I just sat in last night a talk with Nicole Chung about her book. Uh, That's awesome. Put on through uh, also known as Organization. It was really great. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. And it, so it was just interesting because um, like the in the series of episodes, you know, uh, Tracy interviews 
the person that she's talking about the book with so that you can like understand their perspective and where they're coming from. So it was interesting, like hearing that and then hearing Nicole talk about her book and then hearing the Nicole, not Nicole, uh, Tracy and the guest talk about all you can ever know, because it was like adoptee, uh, mixed race host and adopted parent. So there was like a lot of intersectionality all happening, certainly, you know, all women, but, uh, so it was just like, you know, I'm very used to having been on the journey of adoption and, and reckoning with that identity, hearing like, we need more adoptee voices. And so like hearing um, a parent and an adoptee and somebody who doesn't really know that much about adoption was just really interesting. So I thought that was really cool. Also, um, as it relates to this episode, Nathan, I know that Chris's story had a really profound impact on you um, and, and you wanted to tell your story more. And um, I don't think we ever talked about this on or off air, but I'm just curious, like how that process was for you diving back into the whirlwind that was your trip to Korea and meeting your own parents, um, you know, going back and, and actually reflecting and giving yourself time to process that and then yeah. sharing that with the world. Yeah. I you know his, his story definitely had uh, some similarities to mine. And I, I remember saying that even in the interview that, uh, that, you know, I related to a lot of what he was saying. Uh, however, his was uh, more about his biological parents. My parents had actually already passed away. Um, so I only met my biological siblings when I, when I went over. So, um, but it was kind of one of those things that, uh, um, definitely brought back some memories and, uh, the constant communication back and forth, although, uh, tough with translation is, is still been very great. And I really appreciate everything that, uh, um, that has happened in the last, uh, four or five years. And, uh, I think, I think Chris is as well. So. Well, I think, and too, wasn't that right after we had met that when we came back that you put out kind of a recap story on your Instagram, uh, mm -hmm. diving even deeper than I think we did on the episode about For your sure. experience there. Um, I thought that was really cool. Uh, yeah, what was the I, feedback I, like from that when you did that? That was great. I, I mean, I got a lot of people messaging me about it and other people who had said that they hadn't heard all that much information. And on top of that, I added more photos um, that I'd never released before. <laughs> oh, is that like important to you? Is it like so, a thing that you, you know, do? Just a few photos, I guess, you know, the, you know, speaks a thousand words. But yeah, so it was kind of one of those things that I wanted to, to have more, um, I guess, just more of my story out there. And so that I felt like it was a good time for that. Well, I mean, I think that's a perfect segue into our interview with Chris. So without further ado, here we go. Take us there. Take us to the interview. Oh, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> Welcome back to the John Chi Show. We are here with another wonderful interview with Chris McLaughlin. Uh, Chris? I know we just saw you, it feels like, but thank you so what much up? for being here. It's We're back. It's good to, to have you on the show, for sure. Guys, it's really great to be back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, Long-time listen, listener, first-time caller. Long-time, first-time. I was telling somebody the other day about this. Like Podcasts are such like an intimate form of you know, media where you have these voices in your head and you truly feel like you know these podcast hosts like personally that you can call them anytime. And before I met you, that's creepily how I thought of you guys. <laughs> so to be able to meet you and in person and, you know, talk with you and share barbecue and soju was just, I mean, it was truly like the highlight of like the last year. 
in a half or two. I mean, you melded wow. right in with our whole group. I mean, from yeah. having not engaged with you directly uh, to immediately meeting you right as the show was getting ready to start to sitting at dinner and you guys <laughs> like, I remember you and my sister were just having great conversation. And I was just like, this guy has been here the entire year that we've been doing this. Like he's just been here with us. That, and I think that was the most amazing thing. I'm getting ready to sneeze is why I got really weird right there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a fantastic journey. I mean, just hearing your, your stories and your, um, you know, exploration into like Korean identity and to go on that journey with you and, and, and hear how you're, you know, articulating it and, and, you know, just coming to terms and being in touch with that and to go on it at the same time with you has been, it's just been a really amazing experience. So thank you. Wow. No, thank yeah, you. Thank you. And that's the show guys. Thank you so much. for coming. No. <laughs> yep. That was our interview with Chris where we actually paid him money. How would you like to receive that payment? Was that just PayPal or Venmo? Or- <laughs> Korean snacks, please. Yeah. I like uh, it. Well, Chris, I know you have gone, come along with our journeys and listened to uh, you know the people that we've interviewed, but we we don't know much of your story uh, except for the the bits that we did talk to you uh, at the live show. So, for our listeners, uh, tell us a little bit about your adoption story and you know as as detailed or as little as you'd like. Yeah, I was adopted when I was twenty months old um, in uh, nineteen seventy eight. So I was. Born in Busan, my birth certificate actually said Seoul, but born in Busan and uh, adopted to two Caucasian parents living in Mansfield, Ohio, and showed up. I, I, my, I just talked to my parents about this. They said it was like one of the worst blizzards um, <laughs> in like decades. The whole family came to the airport. They picked me up. We had photos of like my dad holding me with an afro. Um, <laughs> it, it, nice. it wasn't a big deal for white dudes to have afros back then. Um, and then um, the blowout, right? Me, That's what it's called. Yeah, they blowout. all took me home, and uh, yeah, we had a big party. I guess a John Chi, if you will. Nice. Um, we lived oh, there. Oh, for... I will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I will. <laughs> I we will lived... say John Chi. <laughs> we lived there for a little bit, but then we moved to Arizona like later that year, and. Arizona is where I call home. That's where I grew up. That's where I went to high school and college. So that is definitely home for me. Um, what else? You know, I've got one adopted sister. So, uh, the middle sister is adopted. She's biracial. My youngest sister is uh, actually biological to my parents. And I've heard that happens a lot where, you know, parents couldn't have children, adopted a couple. And then um, 10 years later, she had her Surprise. own, my mom had her own kids. So. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. But you know, um, it, it was interesting, and, and again, it was it's so validating to hear this from other guests that you've had on the show. That you know, like growing up, I was the only Asian in all of my classes, and sometimes in the entire school, um, never had any you know Asian classmates and or, friends, or in fact friends uh, for that matter. Um, and I remember my parents trying to introduce me to Asian culture, um, you know, through books or I mean, my mom even like back in the day she used to buy those chunking. <laughs> You know, canned <laughs> Asian meals, and you would yeah. do stir fries. Uh, um, I don't know if I had that. I saw KJ's face, and my face went similar direction. I wasn't sure. <laughs> I I had him. I always eyebrow raised. What was I always it? recall the uh, the water chestnuts. Yes. Oh, I yeah. did water chestnuts. The best part. The yeah. best I like water chestnuts. I always love those little crunchy part? things. No, yeah, they were like crunchy. Ugh. You don't like water chestnuts? I do not. That's the worst part of stir fry veggies. Wow, you and my wife both agree on that one. Then, yeah. Hmm. Well, not you're gonna be fan. upset at the wedding dinner. 
<laughs> oh, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm very good at eating round food I don't like. <laughs> All right. Like, I'm going to be staring some food for you. Just I'm going to bust your table. I'm going to bust <laughs> your table just to check your plate. Amazing. All did right, Arizona. Sorry, what, part of, what part of Arizona did you grow up in? Um, when I was in elementary school, we bounced around Chandler, Tempe, Phoenix area. And then um, when I went to junior high and high school, we moved down to Douglas, Arizona. It's on the border of Mexico. Uh, it's famous for a drug tunnel where the, uh, I think the Sinaloa cartel used to ship drugs from uh, Agua Prieta down to, uh, over to Mexico. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that made me think of fame. like Fast and Furious. Uh, it's just, it's hearing a small about town. Arizona just makes me think of um, the good place and also my family, which is a weird combination to have happen in my brain hole. So, yeah. All right. I just, I just like to know. You know, they're, like they're I, from I, Arizona. Yeah, my mom's side of the family is all uh, in Air. Well, generally in Arizona, so I grew up going to Arizona like during Christmas to visit my grandparents um, in the Phoenix area. So, yeah. And then you moved from Arizona out to California, then. Yeah, around 2001, moved out to uh, L.A. I wanted to get in, into entertainment. Didn't know exactly how I was going to do that. So, you know, did some odd jobs, extra work, uh, did a little like, you know, student acting, um, and then eventually got a job in publicity. So um, somebody told me, like, listen, if you don't know what you want to do, uh, if you get into publicity, it touches everything. So you might find an avenue or, you know, something that really appeals to you that you can uh, get into there. So, uh, and somehow I never left. So I've been a, a publicist at different studios uh, for the last 15 years or so. Okay, right yeah. on. So was there a, a big shock when you moved from Arizona to uh, uh, California as far as the, shock. the diversity? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a memory I mean, it's embarrassing now because I've lived here, lived here for so long. But I remember we went out to Santa Monica to the Third Street Promenade. It's an outdoor shopping center. And I just, I couldn't, we stepped out of the parking lot and I could not believe how many Asians there were. Like, I, <laughs> I, I thought it was, like, I, I was, uh, my girlfriend at the time, I asked her if it was like an Asian day or some kind of Asian celebration going on at the mall. Because I just never seen that many Asians in one place in Arizona. <laughs> I felt the same when I moved out to California. Yeah. I remember bringing it up to my friend who was also Caucasian and we went to a party and I was like, I, I, this is weird. You are the minority now, not me. <laughs> it was like, yeah. Um, so was moving to California the first time that you really started to think about or broach maybe Korean culture or just even Asian American culture specifically? I, something you wrote in your forum was that, Growing up, you just wanted to fit in. You just wanted to be white. And I think that's something that I really resonate with because that's a piece of my story that uh, really sticks out to me when I was growing up was like I wanted to be white, prayed to be white. Um, and it took me a lot to get over that. Even going to college, even getting into more diversity, I still was really resistant to kind of Asian culture, but it wasn't because I was really necessarily surrounded by a lot of it. So did California change that and being surrounded by Asia, other Asians and Asian Americans start to change uh, that internally for you, like that drive to want to learn more? It, it did, and it, it brought me a lot more awareness um, about it. But to tell you the truth, I, and it's something I haven't really come to terms with until like the last year or so, I didn't feel Asian until literally a couple years ago, you know, and me, like, like I, I mean, we can get into it, but 
you know, um, doing my birth family search. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it just feels crazy to talk about now, but, you know, I would walk down the street and, you know, feel like a white guy. Um, I remember hearing some of your guests talk about, you know, when you would refer, it might've even been UKG when, when you refer to, you know, Koreans, it's like they, or like, you know, you know, you know, they, they like to do that. It's like, well, <laughs> dude, you're Korean too. It's like, oh yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'll do that too, but sure. Whatever. <laughs> um, so it, 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 it started me on that journey for sure. I just, I didn't have any exposure to Asian, you know, other Asian people. I mean, except for until I went to college. And I remember even, you know, joining the, I was excited. I joined the Asian American Cultural Association at the uh, University of Arizona and I was all psyched. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And, you know, everyone was friendly, but I didn't fit in there because I wasn't Asian. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I looked the part. I was asked to join their mm-hmm. basketball team. <laughs> but I wasn't Asian, you know, yeah. and, and it, it, there, there, it wasn't like anyone was excluding me. There was no like plot against Chris, you know, McLaughlin, but <laughs> I just didn't feel comfortable, you know, yeah. hanging out. So I, I left. And then I think like you, Nathan, like joined a fraternity. So <laughs> mm, yeah. I always think that's interesting to hear about adoptees who have went to college and join like the Asian, uh, the Asian American Association or whatever uh, student association and their experiences. I feel like it's either one, it's never really like super bad where it's like I'm being ostracized and, and singled out because I'm adopted, but it's either kind of your experience, Chris, where just never really feeling like you fit in no matter how friendly everyone was or like, Oh, okay. This is where I should be right now. And kind of going in that direction. I just, I just find that really interesting. The, really almost duality that kind of occurs within our community when we find ourselves in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is reflective of some of the experiences that we have growing up. Um, Like for me, I had the the privilege of meeting a lot of people um, from Asia, not a ton of Asian Americans, but a lot of people from Asia. Right. And so um, where I might feel more comfortable going into like a, Korean like immigrant church here, I would feel very lost, I guess, um, if I went into like a an Asian American church because there is that like lack of knowing how to interact with that level of blended identity that I'm like, Ooh, I, I don't know, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, so it's interesting. I Yeah, so I, all that to say, I think it just kind of depends on your own comfort with Asian people and like those cultures. And like, if you've been exposed to it and you feel like you can like hang with that you're like, okay, yeah, maybe. But then like, if you've not, then you're like, uh, this isn't for me. It's kind of like when you walk into, um, actually, uh, like to use a church example, it's like when a group of, uh, white people go to a black people church and they're like, Oh, we like, we definitely have something in common, but we don't belong here. This is, I feel like we're, you know, so we just kind of like, back away slowly into the bushes, into the bushes. You know what I mean? Like right. that classic Homer Simpson. The Homer thing. Simpson. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. On the same page. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's interesting. I I have a, a question and I, I want to ask it and I feel like it's putting the cart before the horse. So, uh, Chris, how about you um, jump into the your birth search and what sparked that? Because um, I'm really curious to, to hear your journey. Um, yeah, so... So fire away. What started the birth search and 
and all yeah. that. You know, I, I, as, as I'm getting older, I'm like questioning my memory. I'm like, is, are, are these things correct? So I had to talk to my mom and do some fact checking, but, um, I, I felt like growing up, I never was curious about my birth family. I was never curious about my birth mother. My family was my family. Like, I, I just didn't, I, don't, I never felt like a longing or something was missing. And I asked my mom, I'm like, is this right? Did I ever ask you about that? And she's like, no, you're, you're right. You didn't bring that up. And it really wasn't until like 2014, 2015, when somebody sent me a link to Dan Matthews' documentary. And that like opened up my eyes. It was like the That's first time I, I, I even thought it was possible to, to do a search, to find your family. I mean, it just seemed like a crazy miracle. And, and also that he, he got all that footage, like just like from a production yeah. standpoint, I'm like, how did you film this? <laughs> I know. But I what just, was the budget for this? <laughs> <laughs> I just, it was the first time that I even thought of, of doing it. And, you know, I'm somewhat ashamed to like to say that, but it just never occurred to me. Like my parents were my parents. So, I mean, meeting Dan at the, the event, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, was just meeting you guys, meeting him. I just blew my mind. So, but and it, that's what started it. And then, um, it, it's it's actually kind of a, a funny but not so funny story. I was getting a physical, a routine physical because I was expecting my first child. And, you know, I'm adopted. So I go in and like they always ask for your like medical history. Do you have any diabetes, hypertension, anything? And it was just some dumb joke I'd always make like, you know, well, I don't know. My, I'm adopted. I have no idea my family history. McLaughlin, you know. <laughs> and this doctor was uh, Asian. And she did not think that was funny at all. She, there was like no, like the air was sucked out of the room. And she said, she said, if you have the ability to find out more about your, you know, family history, you should, probably should. And I was just like, yes, of course. Why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> and that, that was literally the thing that started me on that, the, the journey. And probably later that week, I went on the Holt website you know, you fill out an application and you just start that process. And, you know, they got back to me. They send a lot of documents that you read. They send, they try to prepare you with, you know, what you should expect. And um, I just, I was all in. And I mean, like, I think Nathan, you might've spoken about it one time about how it, you know, it took you a little bit to get all the information together. Um, it was a little similar in my case, but once I, I submitted it, it was in. Mm -hmm. um, and the process happened really quickly after that. Like, I think it was 2017. I submitted all my information. And I mean, you basically, you, you, you're, you're asked to write a letter to your birth mother. And they translate it and they send it via mail or telegram to your, your, your parents' last known address in Korea. And which in my mind, I just like, like, how's this going to work? This is crazy. This is like, they're going to find somebody, you know, who used to live somewhere, you know. The post office doesn't keep mail forwarding for that. 35 years yeah. ago. But I'm telling you, they, 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 they tracked, they tracked um, my family down. And they, it was on my birthday and um, I got a phone call from someone at Holt and they're like, we got bad news. You know, we, we, it turns out your birth mother passed away. And I mean, it's still hard now. 
Uh, <laughs> just give me a second. It's I think the the toughest thing is just the the finality of it. Mm. It's like I'll never hear that perspective. You know, the like why why I was given up from my birth mom. Mm. Yeah, it's rough. So after, after I found that out, you know, I mean, it was tough, but they're like, all hope is not lost. Just rewrite the letter to your birth father and we'll send it away. I'm like, easy enough. Literally like wrote it that night, sent it back to them and didn't hear anything. Nothing at all. And it, it's it's funny. I mean, this is just like a side note, but I, I think it's important for like adoptees who are considering doing a search because, oh, hold on a second. I think it's important for adoptees who are like, you know, start doing this search um, to know that like, you just never know who you might meet who's going to help you in this search and process. And I mean, I don't want to like make it into some kind of, you know, fate or I don't know, prophecy or, you know, something more than it is. But there were a chain of coincidences that happened to me that like I can't deny. So I, I just on this side note, I met I went to a friend's going away party. And at that party, I met a guy whose wife was a Korean adoptee. And she you know, I connected with them, told them, you know, I was going to go like, you know, start my search. And they introduced me to a person who used to work with Holt in, in Seoul. And I started connecting with them, talking with them over Facebook. This person lived in Australia. And, you know, they were, I, I kept them up to speed on, on, on this journey and what was going on. And after I sent that first letter and I didn't hear anything, I mean, it'd been like six or seven months. And, you know, my this contact, my friend was just like, um, <laughs> send another letter. I'm like, well, I already sent one. I don't know. She's just like, just send another letter. What are you doing? Send another letter. And I sent the letter in December of 2017. And like in mid 2018, I got an email from Holt and they're like, we made contact with your birth family. And it was just like, I, I, I mean, I felt it was like an out of body experience. I felt like I was watching a movie of a guy who found his birth family in Korea. Like it didn't feel like it was happening to me. I mean, I sat down on the couch. My wife and I are reading this email together. It was just incredible. And what happened is the, my, my birth father has like uh, hyperthyroid hyperthyroidism. He is legally blind. He can't see. So he didn't see the first letter. And then my oldest brother, it turns out I have two older brothers. My oldest brother found the second letter. And was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> immediately contacted Holt and was like, yes, let's, let's connect. Let's, let's connect. And the funny thing is my, 
my oldest brother, he remembers me. He's like six years older than me or so, but he remembers me. And my birth parents dropped me off at the adoption agency, came back and basically said that I was dead, that I died. So he thought I was dead. Damn. Wow. So all this time they thought you, you didn't exist. Except yeah. for that, uh, that letter was the first moment that they, they realized that you were still around? Yeah, it was a shock. It was a wow. shock to them. I mean, my, my middle brother, two older brothers, uh, one's name is Jaywon, the middle is Youngwon, and my Korean name is Kuwon. But um, yeah, they, they didn't know I existed at all. So in, in January, I got the letter. Um, we started connecting, they started sending me photos and literally in March of that year, I was in Korea having lunch with them. So it happened very quickly. I was ready to go over there. I was ready to meet them. I was ready to like, you know, start this new chapter. Do you keep up with them now? Yeah. Yeah. We usually about every week or so, sometimes multiple times a week, we, um, we message each other on cacao. We use I use Papago to translate and then mm-hmm. Kakao to send the messages. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, you were telling yeah. me about Papago. I gotta get yeah, if you guys so. don't know, like Google Translate does not translate. It's <laughs> horrible. It, it's it's, it's <laughs> awful. But Papago, you can actually type in and, and speak how you would normally speak, and it will translate it pretty closely. Yeah, so we've been using that. Um, my brothers' wives have like you know learned English, and they are pretty fluent. <laughs> I have oh, not nice. learned any Korean, so shame <laughs> on me. But so that's how you guys communicated when you met them in uh, that, that trip over there? Yeah, my um, oldest brother has a really good friend who speaks, you know, perfect English, who grew up with him in, in, uh, in Seoul. And he hung out. He took time off. He took like a week and a half off his job, too. Wow. Hung out with us and translated, you know, throughout the dinners and the meetings. And so, yeah, it's uh, that's I mean, just amazing. incredibly gracious and you know generous with his time as well so mm-hmm. shout yeah. out to jay young <laughs> jealous of that uh yeah when i met my family for the first time we didn't have any translators so uh we used papa go because there's a speaking uh function in it where you yeah. talk into it and then it translates and then you reverse it and then they speak back in korean and it translates in english and i would say that was about i don't know 75 percent accurate so there is a multiple times when somebody would say something and the other person just had this blank stare in their face and just couldn't understand it. Um, but for, for <laughs> you to have, you know, for you to have a, a translator there and actually get more information quicker and more accurately, I think that's, that's amazing. I, I really wish I had had something like that for, for my first meeting. So <clears throat> when you went over and, and reunited for the very first time, were you able to meet your birth father as well? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I met him. Um, I met him. I met my uh, two older brothers a couple times. And then we had we they arranged a dinner dinner where I met my birth father. Yeah, it was it was it was great meal, great dinner. Um, I sat right next to him with my youngest, uh, my oldest son, who at the time was like a year, year and a half old. And um, yeah, it was it was it was emotional. Um, I didn't but I, it wasn't, I didn't feel like that. I don't know. I didn't feel like that connection with him. Like I did with my, my, my brothers. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
What's the similarities in look? Do you look like your brothers or your father? Oh man, I mean, like like with my brothers, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's clear that we are <laughs> siblings for sure. Uh, I was, I mean, the first lunch we had after we 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 met at Holt, um, the there was a social worker who, you know, uh, guided our conversation, and then my brother took us out to lunch and. We went to like, you know, a nice restaurant, sat down in this room, and I'm sitting across from these guys who are complete strangers. We don't speak any English. I mean, and I'm just looking at them and, and you know, with my one brother, I, like our eyes are the same and my other brother, his nose is the same. And then both of my brothers, we have like similar chin and then the hairlines are the ex- exactly the same. And it's just, it, it was incredible. And again, I, I oh, felt that's like weird. Yeah. I was watching a show about three brothers who met up and, you know, 15 feet in the air, you know, from a wide angle lens. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. When I watched the, the documentary Twinsters, um, yes, there was a moment when they met for the first time. And I remember watching them almost like dissect themselves and like look at each other's height and look at each other's faces to the point where they almost were touching each other. I mean, they're identical twins, so that's a little bit different, but still there was, there was that, that similarity, that connection, because finally you see somebody that, that has biological genetics that, that, that match and that it's, it's a weird feeling. I, I totally, you know, understand where you're coming from when you were like looking at them. Cause I did the exact same thing. So and my wife did too. We already talked about that where they judged our walk. But that was Yeah, I remember hearing that. <laughs> no, I mean, even on a deeper level, it's it's always being the other, always being the kid who's like not white in the family. I mean, yeah, to know that you have these biological siblings. I mean, I don't know. I can't explain. I can't put in the words like the, you know, how enormous like the gravity of that, you know, was like, it, it's, I, I know I said, I didn't feel like there was something missing, but somehow that completed me. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was, uh, it was beautiful. You said that you had your, your, the opportunity to bring your son along with you as well. Um, and just because Nathan brought this up, I was wondering, did you, had, have you at that time, obviously you were very wrapped up in your own journey, but did you know, did you notice any similarities between your son and either your father or like physical features or anything like that? Um, something I hadn't really thought about, but when you mentioned that, I was like, hmm. I don't, I don't think I noticed any physical similarities, um, but it was interesting because I feel like he was just around the same age as mm. I was when I was adopted. Sure. So to like, you know, really put myself in that perspective and position because when you don't have kids, you don't know anything about kids. You don't know how kids are, how they act. So hearing (laughs) that, you know, you were 20 months old and like, you know, my parents said, Oh, we think you might've spoken some Korean, but we don't really know. Like there's no way they would have (laughs) known. And then to have your own child and see like, Oh man, he's like having full on sentences. He understands 75% of the things we say. He just can't say it himself. I'm like, Oh wow! I yeah this 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 must have been really traumatic, you know, for me to just be pulled away and then like shipped on a plane over to the United States. Yeah. So, um, Chris, I think it's it's fantastic that you got to meet your family. Um, that is a really cool experience, and I, for me, I've said before on the show that I'm like not 
particularly compelled to go searching for my family. I'm still not. And I wonder, as I continue to listen to these stories of searching, not not necessarily even finding, but of searching, I just wonder, I'm like, oh, maybe that's uh, less true and more just self-defense. Um, or, I mean, also, I'm allowed to change. <laughs> there have been times when, when I was definitely like, I want to meet my birth parents. And then I was like, ah, whatever. And I was like, I want to be my birth parents. And now I'm like, nah, whatever. So, but I've not, uh, I've, I guess I've not consciously tracked the, the change in that, you know, but I'm curious, um, when was the point, uh, when you started feeling Korean and thinking of yourself as Korean and, and feeling Asian American, was that like wrapped up in meeting your family? Was it wrapped up in the search for your family or has that, has that developed after meeting them? It really developed after going to Korea. I mean, meeting really? them was, was part of it, but it was after I went to Korea. I just, it just changed me. Like I, <laughs> I when I, in my mind, I, I, for some reason I thought I'd go to Korea and I don't know, there'd be like a hero's welcome. Like <laughs> there'd be a parade in the streets. I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I would land and it'd be like, I would just tell strangers my adoption story and they would be like, welcome home welcome home. And it was not like that. Nobody did. Nobody cared about me at all. Nobody looked at me. So I, I tried to tell people like there was, we stayed in Itaewon when we first I went there and, you know, I would get food at this local shop and, you know, tried to tell this uh, store owner about my adoption story. And she's just like, cool, bro. Like <laughs> great story. I mean, she wasn't dismissive, but just like, what do you, what do you want me to say? And yeah, um, that was very eye-opening, uh, but um, yeah, it wasn't until I went to Korea, and then it, to, uh, to be honest, over the last year, um, that I've really become aware of that. And like you guys say, you know, coming out of the fog, um, it was a combination of that. It was a combination of this podcast, you know, and, and hearing the people in this community talk about that, talk about the awakening, talking about you know, connecting with their Korean heritage. Um, and then honestly, the the Black Lives Matter movement last year and then the, you know, recent violence against Asian Americans that, you know, brought and forced this awareness, you know, on me and, you know, forced, for, demanded me to, you know, acknowledge this and come to terms with this and to, you know, really dive deeper into this, um, you know, about my Korean heritage and being Asian American and what that means, you know, in this time and space right now. Um, also as a parent thinking about my children, you know, like how do they exist being Asian in, you know, predominantly white, white spaces? What is that like? How do we, how do I prepare them for that? How do I support them? You know, when is bullying, not just bullying? Um, it's, it's a lot to think about, but it's, it's, it's a journey that's really started, you know, after I went to Korea and then you guys helping, you know, talking about the, these things on the podcast, it's been really eye-opening and awakening. Yeah. Would you say that, um, seeing like so many mirrors of yourself and like feeling like a part of the majority. And, um, I think meeting people who, even though they were strangers, they're still family. Um, like, having that like was that the thing that kind of unlocked it was just like specifically just the, the visual aspect of it and and being in korea or um 
I don't know. Was it just kind of like a, a combination of everything? Hmm. I mean, it's, it's, I just, I, I, I never really felt like I was Asian growing up. I never identified with that. I never would walk into a room and to be honest, feel uncomfortable. Like I'm the only Asian guy in here. I was always the only Asian guy. And I never even thought about it. I remember going like when I moved up to Phoenix and like I'd go to a bar and there'd be one Asian guy there and he would come up and talk to me. I'd be like, hey man, what's up? But it was because he was like Yeah, he was I, looking for that. He was looking and you didn't know. Yeah. And I didn't know. And mm-hmm. I was just always thought it was weird, you know. But it I, now I understand. Um so it 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 it's just really been enlightening to yeah. you know come to terms with that and to acknowledge that and to you know see myself as you know Korean American a Korean American adoptee and you know think about how we can be advocates and and active allies you know to Asian Americans and people of color yeah absolutely man i just really resonate with you when you uh, share stories like you know even going to the bar being the one asian and having an asian person come up and share that story like or to just come up and be connected and just be being unaware that that was the reason why like that is so completely much, unaware so much of my experience has been that like i tell the story of when i was in college and the person came up to talk to me and the and she was speaking to me in another language that i did not know but i could t- she was obviously east asian and I was just like, all right, you can either take the step forward finally, or you can continue on in your comfortability. And I continued on in my comfortability. And thinking back on it, it's like, not only was that detrimental to yourself, but what what harm did you potentially cause her who was just trying to have a friend, you know, or just have a conversation? Maybe nothing, but just being so unaware of that and just not, it's taking so long to really start to understand that and unpack that. I just so resonate with you sharing that. And I just feel like our stories have, even though we're of different ages, have really are lined up in a way. Um, That's, that's wild, but yeah. That's what's been so great about this show. Like uh, the community that, that you guys have introduced me to that you've helped build um, to know, you know, that even at this older age that I'm not alone, you know, that, that to hear these stories, that are similar to mine. And some of them are exactly the stories that the experiences I've been through, you know, it's, it, it validates you. It's, it supports you. And it's, uh, it's just great to, you know, be part of this community now. I mean, I remember my, my, my wife is Vietnamese. She grew up in Southern California. And the first time I brought her back to Arizona, we went into a target and she like grabbed my arm and she's like, we're the only Asians in here. in like this whole target. And I'm like, yeah, it's <laughs> welcome to my life. Like no biggie. Right. Um, but it's funny her growing up here in Southern California, that was a big deal to her. And to like bring it back, um, I went to, back to Ohio where my, my family's from for the first time, you know, in, in like a decade or so, maybe, maybe a little bit less. And, and it was the first time that I, I felt like unsafe you know, in a place where I kind of grew up in, where I went back, you know, that it was the first time I felt like I was, and this is after all the Asian violence, you know, I was reported on in like Atlanta and, you know, New York. And I just, you know, distinctly remember walking into the grocery store, the, the Kroger and, and like, man, I'm, I'm the only Asian in this grocery store. 
I don't know, maybe the only Asian in this town, like who knows? And I just, I, I definitely felt like the other felt like the outsider first time, you know, you know, you talk about a lot of relating to stories on our show and everything. Um, and a lot of what you've already said and what you've said in your, um, guest form too, was kind of some of the first times I started relating more so to a guest. Um, cause a lot of our guests that we've had, you know, have, they have similar stories They have a couple, um, you know, points that I go, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's happened to me and this has happened to me. But I think for, for some reason, your story really hits me not only cause we're the same age, but also because, you know, I'm not going to say it, KJ, don't look at me like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but because you did a birth search and also found your family, just like I did, um, you, you know, you found that you had a brother, you found, you know, it's just, there's so many little similarities. You're in California, which I was in California. Um, and then additionally, you just said you went back to Ohio and felt, you know, unsafe or just, you noticed it. It was more apparent. There was more, uh, awareness. And I felt the same way when I went back to Oklahoma. Um, I've, I almost wanted to like look over my back and it's not, you know, that I was a target at the at least. I don't think I was, I wasn't, you know, going to get jumped in the grocery store in, in Oklahoma, but I felt different because of that awakening, I guess. And because of the fact that California has such a higher um, Asian population that I just, I felt more um, in, you know, uh, similar and among, you know, more of, of uh, my culture and people that look like me, I didn't stick out, but in Oklahoma, I stuck out. And uh, even when I go to Wisconsin, same thing. I feel like I stick out. And my wife said the exact same thing your wife did. She was like, well, we're the only Asians in this airport. Or we're the only Asians in this bar. Yeah. And she, again, because she was raised in, uh, in California, felt a little unsafe. So it's really, uh, you know, hearing your stories, I, I think, is great. Because I'm now relating to to you much more so than than a lot of the guests. And I just wanted to thank you for for all the stories that you've been telling me. They're telling us. Wow, <laughs> yeah, wow, wow just, we're not even here. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Welcome this is to a one-on-one on one conversation show. with yeah, Chris, Chris and I. Oh, hey, guys. Welcome. Chris McLaughlin Show <laughs> featuring awesome. Nathan Nowak. <laughs> yep. Uh, you might know him for such things as... The John Chi Show, Chi now show. defunct. <laughs> I'm going I'm to take over the R. dictator role. the John Chi Show. <laughs> I mean, I could sit here and listen um, to Chris talk all day, so I'm happy. I know I could. I'm happy yeah, to give it up. so I'm I'm really curious. Like, I definitely also feel the same thing of like when, um, and this is the question that I alluded to previously, right? But like, uh, when you go to a place and you're like, "Oh, dip," I am the only person of color, or I am one of two people of color, right? And so, what I think is interesting is, uh, and I heard this referenced on another podcast, um, and it's something that I've experienced in my own life. Like, so living in Dallas, uh, I was raised in a, like a pretty diverse area. Like I also was raised in like very white spaces, but like generally the places that I existed in were, were fairly diverse. And so it was interesting. Like, I feel like I grew up or, and especially then when going to Springfield where the town was really white, like giving people the nod, like specifically people of color, you know what I mean? Just like it's the nod, but then in Springfield too, it's like the, should I know you? And also like, are you okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, because like, I think there is, there's a real, and this is, 
I think the great travesty of being um, a person of color in America uh, and also generally probably just being a woman in America, right, is that um, that there is this level of like insecurity. There's this level of like desperate need for community, right, that we we learn to live with. It's a, a new weight to bear. I remember when I was wrestling with everything um, post George Floyd and and all of the the racial reckoning that I was going through and that the country was going through. Right. Um, I was like, also, I think we were about to move or like we knew we were going to move. And so I was like looking for a job, you know, whatever. And I was just like, I knew I was going to be okay. And the thing that I told people was like, my mind isn't used to carrying this new burden of being a person of color. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, like earlier you said that, uh, you used to walk down the streets and feel like a white person. And now like you really distinctly feel being an Asian American, right. Being a person of color, walking down the streets. Was that uh, feeling like a white person? Was that just that you didn't think about anything? Like you had no cares beyond just like basic general life cares or was there like, can you delineate specifically like, here's what it means to walk down the street as a white person. And now here's what it means to walk down the street as an Asian American. Like for me looking back, I, I wouldn't have ever said, if you had asked me in the moment, I feel like a white person. But looking back, I know that how I felt was how a white guy would feel. I don't, yeah, I don't think I thought about it. I, I didn't think about it at all. It was just, it, it wasn't until, you know, um, starting the birth search and it wasn't until going to Korea and, you know, hearing guests on your show that really, you know, brought this awareness to me. I just, didn't think about it. Yeah. At I mean, all. that's the great privilege of whiteness, right? Is that like, that is, <laughs> um, that's, I mean, it's that it is, you just, you don't have to think about things quite as much, you know? Um, or just, yeah, I was, I was or just familiarity, just everyone looking similar or just the norm of, of your culture, or other people in your area, things like that. If you're used to diversity, I think in an area, then you might be more used to all of those things as well. But, um, to your point too, uh, with the nod, KJ, I, I, I do that all the time when I'm at the school across the street and another Asian family walks by and I kind of give them the nods like, yeah, your kid's going here too. Yeah. Do they nod? I mean, it's a real thing. 5%. Yeah, that's, absolutely. So, I, I think know. it's just know, so interesting. Sorry. Yeah, go for it. Oh, I, I just, I, I, I mean, I, I made a, a, a comment when we were emailing about, you know, setting this up that, you know, I haven't written any books on adoption or identity. Um, I, I need to read more. Uh, I want to read more. I, uh, I got that book from Hannah that you guys uh, gave in the uh, John Chi gift package that I started reading. Um, but I do feel like, I feel like the model minority, you know, um, myth is plays into that in some sense where it's like, I didn't need to be as, you know, concerned or aware of my, of being Asian because it's like, Oh, you're one of the good minorities. Like you're, you're cool. Chris is cool. He doesn't talk about ethnicity. He doesn't talk about, you know, being non-white. He doesn't talk about like being an advocate. He doesn't talk about us checking our white privilege. Like he's cool. And I fell in line, you know, and that's all I knew. 
So yeah, it probably was pretty cool to hang out with because I didn't question <laughs> or pu- push anyone or call anyone on their bullshit. You know, I'd want to hang out with that guy too. You know? Yeah. Well, it's really like, I mean, it's just a way to fit in and, and yeah, I think that, you know, you described it that way, KJ about, you know, just acting about your business and just really not realizing. And something I just realized is a way that I did that. So I like to drive and I've if from the time I got my driver's license till the time I was 21, I was pulled over nine times, never oh from various what? reasons, never got a ticket, not a single time. And I never thought about it. I, in all of those situations, thinking back, I never once was like thought of myself as anything but a white person that just got pulled over. I never thought of myself as a person of color that got pulled over or even as an Asian person, stereotypically bad driving that got pulled over. I thought of myself as white and I had literally no concerns or fears because of that. And I knew because of my prior experience that I was probably not going to I was going to get away with whatever I had done to get pulled over with in the first place. Not saying that and some of those infractions or some of those things definitely not worth pulling me over like they had a thing out. But I had never thought about it as like I was so comfortable in that I had internalized the whiteness so much that I was wearing it on my skin um, on the inside where that's what I was seeing. But on the outside, obviously, everyone else was seeing something else. So I just think that's. Yeah, that's really sad, but uh-huh. like to, to just vocalize and articulate. But I'm kind of well, glad language to that stop I had found. It. Yeah, that's language that I had found in our episode with Diana was uh, at least in her queer community. She she mentioned a thing called uh, compulsory heteronormativity, right? That like it was just easier, like especially if you're um, bisexual or, you know, you're not super, um, I don't know cis presenting or you are cis presenting you know like it's just easier to act like you are heterosexual act like you're cisgendered because you know it's just like an easier way of living and yet it's some way that like actually denies a part of who you are it denies like you are quietly internally suppressing the truth of who you are right and so chris i think it's so interesting that you mentioned growing up you didn't feel like anything was missing and yet when you met your family felt somehow more whole right and that like that that's equally just as much as now we uh, i would say the four of us live with the the burden of being asian american and the burden of being people of color in america um we and we live with that like we all as adoptees have this sense of incompleteness whether or not we know it and that sometimes um, I, the great tragedy is sometimes that will never be filled, but sometimes, you know, we have the, the possibility of finding that completeness and not that that necessarily needs to come from finding birth family. Uh, although oftentimes it does, um, that is the thing that makes us feel complete, but yeah. So it's just interesting, like how, how we think about living truths, living who we are fully, uh, fully living into our identities and what that means for like the way that we navigate in the world. So um before we move on to our very tasty treats um i just want to ask you one other one final question um what is what's next for you on your journey what is the next step that you're looking to take besides coming on this show i i i would love to start reading the five or six books i've bought over the last year and have not opened them <laughs> starting with uh the book by hannah lee that uh the ones who misbehave that you graciously gifted us um, I have a list of other books from previous guests that you guys have uh, that I want to dive into. Um, um, one, what was one of your guests' name? I, 
I've, it's been great. I've followed a lot of your guests on Instagram and reached out to them. Um, nice. Lauren Sharkey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Connected with her. Want to check out her book. Um, and just stop being someone on the sidelines. Stop being someone who's comfortable, you know, existing and watching other people do the work and, and dive in, you know, um, become part of this, become an advocate, become someone who can support, you know, other members of the community, make myself available and, and, and be part of this. So again, thank you all for putting this community together and, and helping to promote it and, and, and building it. Thank you for being on it, for listening, for... Yeah, because literally without you, this would not be anything. If yeah. we didn't have guests, this would not have existed. So that's yeah. very built true. on the back of guests. Exactly. <laughs> built on the back of the community that was already there. I would say, I would say I appreciate you saying the community we've created, but I will say that we have been very graciously welcomed into the community that has existed. Um, and I think that's a wonderful part about the adoptee community itself is that it's even more than just the CAD community that we're all specifically a part of. It's so much more. And that was even, uh, that even showed out in LA, um, with other people coming. And, you know, I think that's, that's the amazing part of it. So, so glad, so glad for you to be able to be here with us and to be on this journey now and to be active. That's what we're all trying to do is be active. You and Nathan could team up, do some book clubbing. Cause I know Nathan's got books that he hasn't, that he hasn't opened up yet. Cause yeah, he's a notoriously slow reader. Yep. <laughs> and I'll be over here for all the people who are like, Oh, act, active, being active is cool. I'm more of a sedentary person. So if you want to come be sedentary, hang out with me in my corner, then that's great. Well, speaking of being sedentary, let's take a quick break and then hop right back in with some sort of snack while we sit down. Roll it in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. We are in the food portion with Chris McLaughlin. Chris, thank you so much for that incredible interview. You honor us with your story and your presence, so thank you. Um, we're jumping in to uh, roasted chestnuts, right? Something a little different. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times we're eating like snacks that are like chocolate, strawberry, chips and stuff. This one's uh this one's a healthy chestnut. So, cuz nuts are good for you, right? Um sure. Pop quiz for my hosts. The Korean, Ooh. the big biggest Korean says urinara. Urinara. Do you know what that means? Uh-oh. We. What? I don't know. Urinara. I don't I should know, but I don't. Family I'm nuts. Pretty sure it's our country. Our country. Oh, okay. oh yeah. When did we just learn that? Oh, that's uh, Uri. Uh, is that I mean, uh, U-R-I or? Uri is we. Right. Mm. Or oh, our. Right. So Uri yeah. nada. Okay. Okay. It was okay. sitting on our Trello board. You see it all the time. I don't look at that thing. Does that's the one over here say 100%? Is that what that one says? Uh, <laughs> it is what the Arabic numerals say. Uh, so chestnuts and i don't know see i'm gonna i'm gonna sound uh completely uh i don't know unaware of chestnuts in general but as far as i know chestnuts have a big role in korean food is that correct does anyone know is anyone nodding or not nodding because no I say that this is why we do this show. Yeah, I know. So I'm gonna. Have to, I should have. I should have looked more information. We are zero percent experts. Yeah. See, 
but okay, so the reason I say that is because at a wedding, uh, when you uh, do like a Korean wedding, there's this one tradition, the payback ceremony, where they throw chestnuts and dates at the bride and groom, and they have to catch them, and and it symbolizes how many boys or girls you're going to have. And you know, you see family members just throw little little ones, or sometimes a big handful. But it's chestnuts and dates, and I've always wondered, you know, what the symbolism of the chestnuts were. Uh, and why it was chestnuts. I well, I did a quick but... goog, and uh, I typed <laughs> in chestnuts. And... Never say that again. <laughs> I did a quick goog, and I typed in chestnuts in Korea, and it didn't say anything about that. It does say okay. that it's a popular street food in both North and South Korea, sold okay. from late autumn to winter by vendors wearing ushanka, which is sometimes referred to as roasted chestnut vendor hat or roasted sweet potato vendor hat. Okay, in the... interesting. In a set, gun bomb. Does that sound right, KJ? From reading it on here, I, gun bomb, uh, roasted this chestnut, says nut bomb. Oh, interesting. So this is sweet chestnut. Uh, Chris has already opened it and stuck his nose in. What's, the smell? <laughs> What's that smell, Chris? Sorry, That's what I do. To wait. No, apologies. I smell, I smell too. You got to do the smell test. Whoa, first. it is roasty. I don't know if I like that. I know. That's a little roasty for me, but I don't know what I thought a chestnut was, but it was not what is in here. <laughs> <laughs> I I my, mine are a little wet, just like I they're a little wet. Oh, <laughs> he's not joking. All right, this has not started out well. Oh, they are. Well, I mean, come on, let's think about it. Oh goodness. Mine's not sorry, mine's not just wet. Mine's squishy. Yeah, so is mine. I think well, that's how is that a it, roasted chestnut? I thought roasted was like crunchy and well. When did you buy these? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, it doesn't they expire. Don't expire until twenty twenty two. Yeah, twenty twenty two. So we're good. Chestnuts roasting on an open yeah. There you go. Chestnuts roasting. So it's right, the holiday this. mood. I'm not gonna wait. And everyone longer. take Ugh, a bite. Yeah, it is, it's a little slimy. Take a bite. <laughs> not good. <laughs> not good. Uh, uh. Mm, I know a spit bucket, but I don't have one. I'm not even going to eat the other half of this. <laughs> I ate the whole thing. Nope. I wish mm. I would have. That would have been better than the half bite, I think. <laughs> I, I feel like Ooh, this is something that you had to grow up on and you had to have as a kid. <laughs> and then you're like, this is, these are delicious. Because as an adult, this is not delicious. I'm about to hold my trash can up to the camera and just dump these out on Here's- camera. But like, get why, fired from the show. Why is this the sweet flavor? You know, <sighs> like, what are the other flavors? Wow. Ugh. Um, I don't know. I'm still, I am savoring it in a way of trying to. I don't know, dude. You just gotta don't savor it that. No, I I want to know. Like, I want to know why I don't I like it. Know, <laughs> can you show me? <laughs> Oh, there we go. There's our one song of the show. I want to know about these chestnuts that I'm eating. Oh, I like that. that Tell me more. So, Please I show would like to know why they're not crunchy, number one. Something's familiar number about two, these chestnuts I'm eating. The pieces in it. Okay, so it, a chestnut itself is, <laughs> I, I don't know how to, it's not grainy, but it's like. Mealy. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. There's something about it. So one of our desserts uh, cookies that we've had had chestnuts in it, and which one? Uh, I want to say it was the. Mm, well, I hate out. retroactively hate that sack. Was it the Margaret? Was it the Margaret cookie? 
I don't think so. I don't remember any don't chestnut know. ones. I thought I thought there was some chestnuts <clears throat> in it, but I've had chestnuts before, but not like this. Again, all the times I've ever had a chestnut, it's been crunchy. This is soft, like the nut was like soaked in the water. So I don't know. I'm eating it just because I want to know why. I think I'm gonna go in for a second. I, why I would somebody say, uh, do this? The second bite and the second one is better. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not. It's, I almost want to try it, Patrick's but I will eyes got not. Anime huge in disbelief. <laughs> the texture is is uh, is interesting. Nathan, you want mine? Here you go. I'm good. <laughs> Just throw <laughs> it out. <laughs> no, but I'm a little happy that that in a way we've had a lot of like I said, sweet treats and yeah, you, you brought know, five upon out us. of fives and everything like that. And finally, we're all taking one. You know, one snack that we're all kind of like iffy on. <laughs> just hey, it, I like it, how you try to sugarcoat it. We're all kind of iffy on it. No, I'm down on it. <laughs> Two thumbs down. I'm going to the basement and putting my thumbs into the ground. That's how much I don't like it. I, I wish we were doing a soju tasting. Oh, there. I, I, wish, I, had, I wish I had a soju chaser on this. Yes, exactly. Yeah, if I had soju with this, I could probably eat all. But oh, I do have soju <laughs> downstairs. But that's downstairs. Well, it is. Not something I would snack on frequently. Let's just say that. We're not even going to. I'm going to have to cut out all of my audio in this because I've just disparaged this snack. Like, even if I rated it low, I've said too many terrible things. I can't be heard on this episode. I, I just, I would like to know why. They're not sponsors. It's fine. The, oh, okay, the roast, perfect. The, the roasted chestnuts are like, I don't know. Sitting in a broth, you know. What I mean? <laughs> yeah, what the heck is going on with that? Why is there a broth? like marinating it's not a in broth, here? Broth, but it's 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 marinade. It's moist, like you said, enough oh, to not yeah. make them like this you know is a, make, appropriate make them dry out. But moist nuts are supposed bad. to kind of be dried out. I thought so. Yeah, see, this package not indicative of what is in the inside of it. I think we're just going to need to post this one. Raw, uh, this video to YouTube so people can watch it. <laughs> oh yeah, I, that's the only way to get the full experience. So go to our YouTube channel; it will be up there. It will probably be unedited, but you can definitely watch watch our yeah. faces. You guys watch need to, and you need to upset. go buy them and try them yourself. Oh, what's that? What's that? Was that this in there one, also? I guess this one has the skin on it. Oh, oh, that was in your it, thing? That one looks chocolate covered, though. I know, it's that not. got me excited. It's it's not not just a it's a, come it's on, not. Chris, try it. Just try it and tell it's us. No, I mean, the, that was in perfectly timed. <laughs> well like timed, this. sir. Oh, oh okay. that one looks horrible. No, that oh. one looks good. No, It's like a half chestnut. I literally put my other half of that one in the bag. That's how much I don't I like mean, this. Nathan, when you were in Korea, did you? Well, actually, KJ, you went to Korea too, right? Did Did you yeah. guys see where they have those worms that are just simmering in a broth, selling them on the streets? Oh yeah, that's the, the silkworm wafting. I did not see those. I I I did have wafting wafting. I had some uh, sea cucumber while I was there, which was interesting. Because I've only seen those scuba diving. Well, Nathan, so. if you didn't want me to be on the show anymore, you did a great job of making me not want to do it anymore. So. You're never going to let me pick snacks this again. Is the, the end. Of, yeah, we literally just said it that you were picking all the snacks, and now I'm like, nope, we're going to have to shut, revisit that, revisit that scheme. Um, hey, but as our exploration into Korean culture, don't you feel better knowing now that you don't like it? 
Yeah, I guess. I actually uh, feel really bad. I mean, bad. I guess so because, yeah, now I don't have to. I can just politely decline instead yeah. of having to hide my reaction. I feel like this is not indicative of an actual roasted chestnut that they're eating on the street. I want a street vendor chestnut, and then I will make a final determination. All right. Well, let's get <laughs> into ratings right And if you now, make that same face in front of the guy selling them. <laughs> I will face away. these Udinata chestnuts. What's your final determination, Patrick? Zero. Dislike. Zero. I couldn't even eat a full wow. one. Normally, I've eaten the entire bag, wow. and I'm going a zero. I dislike this very much. I did not like the way it felt <laughs> in my hand or my mouth. I did not like the moistness. This is a one-time right. moist is a bad word. I I just, I didn't care for it. I like that it's roasted chestnuts so I could sing the song, the one lyric that I know. But other than that, dislike. Would not recommend. I don't know why I find it so amusing that you dislike this. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just really just, don't like it. I you like sorry. so much, uh, so many I know, other right? things, right? I know. Uh, first time, first time, only time. I'm going to eat one, uh, get another one, just in honor of you not you're liking them. You're going to make me throw up. Wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. Chris, <laughs> what is your rating? Um, is it thumbs up or thumbs down or like out of stars? Uh, out of five. Zero, to zero, five. To five. zero to five. Zero to five. Zero to five. Actually, traditionally we say one to five, but Patrick True. created a new four a new low. by saying zero. <laughs> I told you I was going in the basement burying my thumbs. I mean, I guess out of respect, <laughs> I'll say two. Like, I don't hate it, but oh. I, I don't want another one. But. All right. All right. That's respect. I respect that. I respect that answer. It's growing on me. Nathan, oh. you're out. I'm yeah, kidding. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a one. Like, yeah. if someone, if I was in Korea and someone was like, "These are my favorite. You have to have them," I would be like, "I will have one and force it down." Especially now that I know what to expect. But I'm never, never going to go seek this out. Hey, yeah, Sejana, do you want to try this? No, no. Nah, she's heard me talk about it too much. She won't. She try probably it. heard me That's screaming fine. through your headphones. <laughs> yeah. <A> terrible one. <laughs> After right, the Nathan, glory, home. what's your yeah? What's your rating? <laughs> As I ate the second one, give me a second. Uh-huh. Um, what chasing it with a Coke? Second one was a little better than the first one. Still, the texture is is doing something weird to me. I don't know what it is, but I'm gonna give it. I'm also gonna give it a, a one. I'll give it a one and a half. Oh, okay, thank you. Just because, <laughs> just because I think it would be okay if it was crunchy. I think it's just uh, I the think texture. you mean crunky. Crunky, yeah. If it was a little crunky version, <laughs> yeah, yeah, give me that yeah. one. But I yeah, okay. it, I like nuts that are crunchy. <laughs> Sorry. It, he just it's wanted weird to say that, that it's wet on the outside, but you eat it and it's dry. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I did not like that. I will okay, I will say that wait, I forgot what I was gonna say. Never mind. Move on. Excellent podcasting. <laughs> okay. I really well, had something to say. Note, Oh, Thank so you, mad. Chris, so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. If people want to get in touch with you, uh, can they find you? Are your DMs open? Where can they? How can they? Build uh, I'm, that community? A, I'm I'm Chris on TV on Instagram. Uh, I think it's set to private, but just reach out and I'll I'll uh, follow you back. Let's do it. All right, there it is, Chris on TV. That's a great handle. That's you. Um, You've been following me for a while now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know it now. I love it. That's perfect. You're like, awesome. you're like this guy. That's amazing. That's really funny. Literally had no. I apologize if you told me in L.A. I was maybe having a little too much to drink. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Yo, eat I would say that's incredible. That's so mech. 
really did me in. No, LA. no judgment yeah. out of the John Chi, right? No judgment at the John Chi. Chris, you're the you're the newest host of the John Chi show. You're <laughs> filling in for me. I love this guy. All right. Anyways. Perfect. Um, all right. Well, thank you again so much for coming on and sharing your story. Um, you can reach out to us at John Chi Show on all of our social platforms or send us an email to John Chi Show at justlikemedia.com if you want to get in touch with us that way because you want to, uh, I don't know, say a bunch of, a whole bunch of words. Um, uh, what else do we say? You can support the show at johnchishow.com slash support. You can join the Facebook group, The After Party, if you want to hang out with other cads and uh, allies and hello, my kitchen. Um, and uh, to build community that way. It feels like like a year since I've done this. Um, what else do I say? We probably got some merch Reviews. up that's available in the store. Yes, please leave us a review or drop us a like. We don't say drop us a like. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps get the word out. Also, please tell a friend because that also helps us get the word out by you get, getting the word out of your mouth hole. Um, <laughs> I think that is it. Or right. you can also, where can people find you there, KJ? <laughs> oh, yeah, hey, right. Hey Even though I got my back. Uh, you can find me at KJ Relke, wherever I want to be found on the internet. You can find me at nnowak on Instagram. You can find me at Patrick in the world, also on Instagram. Yep, and uh, you can find Katie at John Chi Show or at Katie the Cad. So oh, nice, yes. Is. She is running our socials, so it's a great way to get in touch with either all of us or none of us. So, however, <laughs> that's that actually very about. true. <laughs> that's deeply accurate. Yeah. So there you go. Deeply um, accurate. That is it. We will see you next week. Until then, Janchi Heyo. And goodbye. Bye.